If you have the Word of God with you this morning, turn to Luke chapter 4. Luke chapter 4. If you need a Bible, there's one in front of you this morning. If you're a guest today, uh, don't judge open Bible by me. And uh, Pastor Rydell, my good friend, uh, entrusted me today with uh, his uh, services today and tonight. And I'm very thankful for that. And uh, so don't judge. You come back when he's here. He's a great pastor, a great preacher of God's Word. And uh, I'm excited to call him my friend. And, uh, and I'm sure he feels the same. If he doesn't, he wouldn't tell me anyway. Uh, so um, this morning, Luke chapter 4. And uh, I want to, I before I get started, I want to implore you uh, to do something for me, if you would. Uh, believe it or not, I'm actually here this Sunday, and I'm here next Sunday as well. And so uh, I have a pastor's heart, just like Pastor Idell does. And I am not one of these. I'm not an evangelist. I'm not a guy that can just come in and preach those one sermon, you know, big grand sermons and walk away. I, I like building things. And so here's what I need your help with. Uh, the next four services, to, uh, this morning, tonight, next Sunday morning, next Sunday night, is all going to be one series and you can't miss a one. Now, I know it's summer. I know it's vacation. I know your pools are open. I know it's a beautiful day to go to the shore. You can go to the shore as long as you're back by 5 o'clock tonight. All right? That's okay. Uh, but each message is going to build on the next one. And, uh, and I, if you normally don't come back on Sunday nights, uh, listen this morning. If you don't like me, just don't show up. It's okay. And, uh, but I, I beg you to come back. And I really believe God has something uh, for us uh, today. Uh, so what I'm preaching on, I've entitled the series, Journeying into the Deserts of Life. Now, the overhead's not working this morning. I have some great pictures for you. I was really going to engage you with that this morning. And if they get it working tonight, I'll show those to you tonight. But to journeying into the deserts of life out of Luke chapter 4. Um, I have actually been in Luke chapter 4 for the last two months in my own devotional time. Uh, God met me here. God has brought me to this place in my transition through our tra family transition. And so uh, I really want to sh hopefully share with you uh, what God has given to me and, uh, and just pray that uh, the Holy Spirit uh, will just use it into your life uh, today. So I want to give a disclaimer. Because I've been in this about two months, I've been studying, I've been researching, been reading. Uh, some of the things I'm going to share with you today and t next Sunday are not unique to me. I didn't make this up. I'm not some genius. Uh, I, I've, I've read a lot of people, studied a lot, uh, listened to a lot. Uh, and so some of those things in my message uh, messages are going to reflect some other thoughts as well. And uh, I always like to give credit to who credit is due and give that uh, disclaimer. Uh, I have a good friend. One of the ones I, I, I was studying uh, these past few months, is, I have a good friend named Pete. And uh, he's uh, a pastor, uh, used to be a pastor up in Queens. And uh, he tells this story. Uh, he pastored in Queens 27 years. And it, he tells the story of the building of the Twin Towers. I remember the Twin Towers. Uh, most of us do from 9-11. Uh, and they say when they built the Twin Towers that it took them seven years to lay the foundation for the Twin Towers. Seven years of digging down and digging down and digging down to get the foundation for those two towers or uh, there in, in, in uh, Manhattan. They uh, even said that uh, they even had to add a mile of landscape to Manhattan just to go down deep enough for those buildings. Seven years it took them to go down. 
It only took them three years to go up. Imagine that. Seven years of going deep down, laying a foundation in order for the strength and the ability for those buildings to last and stand without wavering through the storms and, and through uh, the, the things that those buildings would uh, embark upon. Now, the reason I tell you that is this, is because it takes God time in your life and in my life to lay a foundation in order for Him to build something that He wants to do in our lives. It takes God time to go deep into your life and my life. Most of our life is, is, is God uh, just working deeper and deeper, going down and down and down into our lives in order for Him to do a work of preparation before we are ever ready to go out in ministry, to go out and do what God wants us to do for His kingdom. And so we're going to take the next four times that we're together and look at this thing called the wilderness or the desert and the temptations of Jesus because I really believe that these temptations that are recorded not just in Luke but also in Matthew and also in Mark, you're going to find that they are a preparation for Jesus and, and a, an example and a guide for us as God works in us and prepares us to launch out and to do the work, to live the life that God wants us to live. So look there if you're in, in Luke chapter 4, and we're going to read verses 1 uh, down through verse 14. You can follow along and, uh, and as we read together. And Jesus, being full of the Holy Ghost, returned from Jordan and was led by the Spirit into the wilderness. I want to ask you, we're going to, going to kind of do some interactive reading here. Who led Jesus? The Spirit. Was it the devil? No, it was who? The Spirit. You, you, you need to note that. It was the Spirit that led Jesus to the wilderness. Verse 2, being 40 days tempted of the devil. How many days was he tempted? Now, the reason I'm pointing these things out is sometimes we're so familiar with the Bible that we, we sometimes we read into what the Bible says that's not really there. It wasn't Jesus fasted 40 days, then he was tempted, but he was tempted all 40 days. Being tempted 40 days of the devil. And in those days he did eat nothing, and when they were ended, he afterward hungered. And the devil said unto him, If thou be the Son of God, command this stone that it may be made bread. And Jesus answered him, saying, It is written that man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word of God. And the devil, taking him up into a high mountain, showed unto him all the kingdoms of the world in a moment of time. The devil said unto him, All this power will I give thee, and the glory of them, for that is delivered unto me. And to whomsoever I will, I will give it. Isn't that interesting? Satan says, I can give to whoever I want to give it to. If thou therefore wilt worship me, all shall be thine. 
And Jesus answered and said unto him, Get thee behind me, Satan, for it is written, Thou shalt worship the Lord thy God, and him only shalt thou serve. And he brought him to Jerusalem and set him on the pinnacle of the temple and said unto him, If thou be the Son of God, cast thyself down from hence, for it is written. What is Satan about to do? He's going to quote the Bible. Satan knows the Bible just as well as you do. He's going to quote Jesus, the Bible. For it is written, he shall give his angels charge over thee and keep thee. And in their hands they shall bear thee up, lest at any time thou dash thy foot against a stone. This in the book of Psalms is what Satan is quoting. And Jesus answering said unto him, It is said, Thou shalt not tempt the Lord thy God. And when the devil had ended all the temptation, he departed from him for a what? A season. Would you, would you note this? This is not the only time Satan tempted Jesus. This is not the only time. This was just a season. Other seasons came between Satan and Jesus. But notice verse 14. And Jesus returned in the what? Power of the Spirit. It was the Spirit that drove him into the wilderness. It was 40 days of fasting and temptation from the enemy. And Jesus emerges out of the desert in the power of the Holy Spirit. Listen to me, church. Something happened in the desert. Something happened in the wilderness that we have to take note of. That happened to Jesus and can happen to us as well. If I had to narrow down all of my sermon today in a sentence, it would simply be this. God is leading all of us into deserts in order to do a deep work in us so that He can do a great work through us. God is leading all of us into deserts in order to do a deep work in us so that He can do a great work through us. So if that's going to happen, then you and I must learn the desert. We've got to learn the desert and how to embrace it. We've got to learn the desert and how to embrace it. Let me give you some things this morning uh, that I hope you take note of and write down in your heart. Number one, the desert experience is God-initiated. The desert experience is God-initiated. Look back at verse number one. And Jesus, being full of the Holy Ghost, returned from Jordan and was led by the Spirit into the wilderness. Now, in order, if we're going to really get a grasp of the next three services, including today that we're together, then we've got to get a grip on the desert. What is the desert. The word desert or wilderness, it comes from the same root word in the Bible. It is translated 32 times as wilderness and 13 times as the word desert. They're interchangeable, the wilderness and the desert. It comes from the word meaning to drive or for pasturing flocks. Most of Israel, most of Israel's deserts were south and east and southwest 
of the inhabitable parts of Israel. Israel deserts were rocky and wasteland with little rainfall and very few people that dwell in them. You know, when we think of a desert, we typically think of something like the Sahara Desert. Now, if I had my handy-dandy pictures, I'd show you this to you. But we think of just sand and sand and sand and sand. But that is not the Israeli deserts. The Israeli wilderness were mountainous and rocky and very little rain and uh, full of wild animals and wild beasts. And, and most of the time, those that lived in the desert were outcasts or thieves and robbers or criminals that dwelt uh, in those areas. Uh, we said the word desert comes from the word to drive, meaning this in verse number one, that the Spirit drove Jesus into the wilderness. It wasn't, say, it wasn't an idea of, hey, Jesus, would you like to join me in the wilderness? Would you like to come to the desert with me? It wasn't an invitation. It was a driving. In other words, God was taking him there with intentionality and on purpose. Church, listen to me this morning. God doesn't ask you if you want to go into the wilderness. Because none of us want to go to the desert, do we? None of us want to dwell in the desert. We don't want to go there. If it was an invitation, we're not going. So what does God have to do? He has to drive us there. He has to take us there on purpose. I want you to hold your place there in Luke, if you wouldn't. Turn to Hebrews chapter 5. Near the back of the Bible, Hebrews chapter 5. I want to show you a verse, and I want you to write this verse down, write the reference, because we're going to refer to it through every message. Of course, many of you like me have probably read the Bible, and for whatever reason, this verse never stuck out to me until a few years ago, and it just keeps, I keep going over and over in my head and in my heart. Look at, look at Rome, uh, uh, Hebrews 5 and verse 8. Listen to what the writer of Hebrews says. Though he were a what? A son. He was the son of God. Though he was the son of God. Though he were a son, yet learned he obedience by the things which he what? Who are we talking about? Jesus. Jesus learned obedience by the things which he suffered. See, we forget the, human, the humanity of Jesus. We forget that Jesus was in all points tempted like as we were. He was human. He was us. He was in the flesh. He had flesh and bone and blood and he had a brain and he, and he had emotions and he had a will and, and he, he took on us so that we can identify with him. And the Bible says that even though he was the son of God, yet he learned obedience by the good times he experienced, by the blessings that came down from the Father. No, he learned through what? Suffering. In Luke chapter 4, you know what this is picturing for us? A suffering of Jesus. He's in the desert. He's in the wilderness. He's hungry. Jesus and we learn the same way we learn by the things which God drives us to that many times are painful and difficult and the Bible calls them deserts. Let me give you some things about the desert real quickly. 
Number one, deserts are desolate. Deserts are desolate. Jeremiah 2, 6 describes it this way. Neither said they, where is the Lord that brought us up out of the land of Egypt that led us through the wilderness, through a land of deserts and of pits, through a land of drought and of the shadow of death, through a land that no man passed through and where no man dwelt. You see, deserts are desolate. Deuteronomy 1, verse 19, And when we departed from Horeb, we went through all that great and terrible wilderness. Listen, the wilderness, the wilderness is not Ocean City. Uh, the wilderness is not Dooney Park. The wilderness is desolate. It's a terrible place full of pits and, and ruggedness and, and, and trenches and a place of shadows of death and drought. But not only are desert, deserts desolate, but secondly, deserts are solitary. They're lonely. They're a lonely place. You may uh, listen to Psalm 107 verses 4 and 5. They described it this way. They wandered in the wilderness in a solitary way. In a lonely way, they found no city to dwell. Hungry and thirsty, their soul fainted in them. Do you know when you're in a desert in your life, you could be sitting like this this morning in a crowd of people and still feel lonely. Still feel by yourself. Still feel like you're the only one in the room. See, deserts are lonely places. They're solitary places. But third, deserts are in between places. When David was fleeing from Saul, King Saul, when he's trying to kill him, here's what the Bible says in 1 Samuel 24, 1. And it came to pass that when Saul was returning from following the Philistines, that it was told him, saying, David is in the wilderness of En Gedi. You see, deserts are an in-between place. They are typically a place of confusion. It's a confusing time. It's a place where there's no plans and no maps to get out. You feel lost in the desert. See, the reason that this in-between place is difficult for a lot of us is because most of us in this room, we love control, don't we? And when you're in the desert, you're out of control. You have no control. You, everything around you looks exactly the same. There's no way out. It doesn't look like there's a way out. It just looks like more of the same as far as the eye can see. And the reason that we that love control cannot stand the desert is because when you and I are in the desert, we don't have control and we cannot control God. That's why most of us want to avoid the desert. It's an in-between place. We don't know where we're going. We don't know why we're there. It's a desolate place, a solitary place, an in-between place. But number four, deserts are a place of unlearning. See, deserts are a place where God takes you to unlearn some things in order for you to learn some new things. That's why it's so terrifying. Most of you, you, you came up to me this morning and say you're, you're, you're praying for me. You've been praying for me for, uh, since 2014. When my first diagnosis of cancer came. It was in the, the desert of my cancer. And, and even now where our family is in, we're in the in-between of ministries. I don't know. Listen, I, I left a church after eight and a half years. I have no clear where I'm going. 
Everything looks the same. I don't know where God's leading us. I don't know what God's doing. It's an in-between place. And by the way, I'm a control freak just like you are. I wanted to know where and when and how, and it's not there. But you know what? God had me in that place in the desert of cancer, and He has us in the place right now of the in-between so that God could uh, show me some things I needed to unlearn so that I can learn the God that really is. And God takes us to the desert because there are some things in your life that you think you know that God says, uh, no, that's not true. And the only way you're going to unlearn them is to go into the desert for Him to drive you there. And then lastly, deserts are desolate. They're lonely. They're in between places. They're places of unlearning. But five, deserts are places that we learn limits. We're going to look at this next Sunday morning. But the, the desert is a place where we learn limits. Even Jesus had limits on earth. See, you and I, we live as if we have no limits. We can go as long as we want to go. We can work as long as we want to work. We can, we can burn the, the candle at both ends and think we're going to be okay. You are not God. You are not God. You have limits. I have limits. And we live in a way, especially, and please, I'm, I'm as, I'm as a, a red-blooded American as they come, but especially in America, we think we're limitless. And we're not. And the desert teaches us we have limits. So the desert is a place that God initiates in our lives. But number two, the timing of the deserts are determined by God. The timing of the deserts. They're initiated by God and the timing. Look at verse 1 again. And Jesus, being full of the Holy Ghost, returned from Jordan. What, did he, what happened in Jordan? He was baptized. Remember that? John the Baptist, we'll look at John the Baptist tonight, but John baptized him. The, the, the dove came down. The, the Spirit descended like a dove and, and the heavens opened. And God said, this is my beloved Son in whom I'm well pleased. By the way, Jesus had not done a thing yet. And the Father was completely pleased with the Son, and Jesus had not done the first miracle. The Father was pleased with Him, and immediately after that great experience, after that wonderful time with God and the, and the river and Jordan and John, what does the Spirit do? The Spirit drives Him in the, to the desert. And look at verse 2. Being 40 days. The timing of deserts are determined by God. For Jesus at this time, it was a 40 days of intense testing by the enemy. This was not the only time Jesus faced testing in his life. We saw in verse 13 that there were other times as well. You see, the timing of deserts in our lives could be some, from two weeks to a month to 40 days to a year or years, plural. We could be in a desert. That's why many times we refuse to follow the leading of the Spirit into the deserts because the Spirit doesn't always lead us into places of blessings. The Spirit doesn't always lead us into the comfortable places, to the easy places. Many times He drives us to the desert because He has something there for us. And it could be a week, it could be a month, it could be a year, it could be years. In the desert. But know this church, that timing is up to God. The timing of when it happens, 
The timing of how long it happens and the timing of how long you endure it is up to God. So you can't escape it. You can't get out of it. The timing of deserts are determined by God. The desert's experiences are initiated by God. Number three, the desert. The desert is God's testing place. God's testing place. Look at verse 2. Being 40 days tempted of the devil. Tempted. Tested. Now, I, 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 I am a... My giftedness is teaching. I love to teach. I, I probably should have got an education major in college, but um, I love to teach. And how many, we have any teachers in here? You used to teach or a teacher? Wonderful. God bless you. And uh, you, know, you know what the mark of a good teacher is? Is when a teacher gives a test, they are not giving a test in order to pass or fail that child. A good teacher gives a test to reveal what's inside, what they know. It's a revealer. If, you, if there's anything you get today, you need to get this. Testings in our lives are revealers, not about pass or fail. See, when you view testings in your life from God as pass or fail, do you know what happens? Most of the time we fail. We fail. And if I'm looking at the testing from God as a pass or fail scenario and I fail the majority of the time, here's how we have been trained. Here's how, here's how we understand how God's work. Well, if I failed, then I've got to come and repent and repent and repent and repent and repent. And then once I feel like I've repented enough, now I've got to get out and do something and do something and do something to make up for my failure. Are you with me? You ever felt like that? Because we view the testing of God in the wrong way. See, the testing of God is not about pass or fail. The testing of God is to reveal what is inside of you. Not because God needs to know. He already knows. Who does He want to know? You. He wants, to know, he wants you to know what you have inside of you. Watch this. So He can remove from you what needs to be removed so he can put in what you really need. That's why the desert's a place of unlearning. Go, go, if you would, real quickly to the back of your Bible. I want to show you two, two places that support this. Go to 1 Peter chapter 1. 1 Peter chapter 1. And, and while you're turning, also find James chapter 1. 1 Peter and James. Hebrews, James, 1 Peter, they're right back to back. 1 Peter 1, James 1. All right, if you're, you're at 1 Peter chapter 1, look at, look at verse 7. He says that the trial, can anyone guess what the word trial there is? Testing. That the testing of your faith being much more precious than of gold that perishes. Why does God drive me in the desert? Because the testing that you and I, I need is more valuable than gold to God. 
That's what he's doing. He's, he's, he's testing. What is he testing? Remember, it's revealing. Though it be tried with fire, might be found. You know, words in the Bible are important. That little phrase, might be found, simply means this, to reveal. To reveal. God wants to reveal something about your faith so that you would know where your faith really is. Is it in you? Is it in your abilities? Is it in your giftedness? Is it in what you produce? Is it in what you make? Or is it in Him? That's the desert. Jesus! Turn, you're, you've been 40 days without food. Turn this bread to stone. Come on, Jesus. You, you're hungry. And listen, nobody's going to know. It's just me and you. Nobody's going to see it. You know you're hungry. If you, listen, it's been 40 days. Your body is going to go in reverse. It's going to begin to break down. It's going to feed on your organs. If you don't do something, Jesus, come on, Jesus. You are the Son of God. Do something. You ever heard Satan tell that to you? Just do something. Who is my faith dependent on? Me. And Jesus said, no, 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 no. Man shall not live by bread alone. I don't have to do anything. I've got God. I've got God. See, it's the testing. It's to to prove. Go to James chapter 1. James chapter 1 and verse 2. My brethren, count it all joy when you fall into divers, what? Testings, temptations, testings. Knowing this, that the trying, the testing of your pay of your faith does what? Worketh. There it is again. It reveals. It it it, it shows. It 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 makes us. It gives us understanding. You see, the desert is not about a place of pass or fail. You see, most people, when they, when they view the desert as pass or fail, here's what ends up happening. They fail so much that they become bitter at God. God, I've tried, I've tried, I've tried, I've tried, I've tried, and I fail, and I fail, and I fail, and I fail. I can't live this. So you know what, God? Forget you. I'll do it my way. And when we have a pass or fail mentality about the desert, you will always fail. But when you see it as God revealing, helping me to see, giving me a clearer picture about Him and about me, then I begin to understand God in a way I've never understood Him before. He begins to reveal things about me that I didn't see before so that I can repent of those things and put my faith on Him. And listen to me, church. That only happens in the desert only in the desert. The desert is God's testing place. The deserts, the timing of the deserts are determined by God. Desert experiences are God-initiated. Let me give you the fourth one. Deserts differ for everyone. Deserts differ for everyone. Everybody's desert is different. Let me just give you a few examples. How about Job's desert? What was Job's desert? The loss of everything. 
lost his children. He about lost his marriage. He lost his finances. Maybe your desert could be your marriage today. This thing is it's just, just too hard. No kidding. I, I, I've married, you know, believe it or not, my first wedding, I've been in the ministry 22 years. My first wedding wasn't until I moved to New Jersey. I avoided him as much as possible. So why did you do that? Well, number one, because I always prefer doing funerals over weddings. You can't mess up a funeral. He's dead. All right? But a wedding, it's being videoed, pictures, everybody's watching. Man, you blow it. Everybody, it's going to be for a lifetime, you know? But I, I thought about this many times. I thought about part of, part of my marriage counseling is saying, listen... Uh, marriage is hard, and if you're not looking for a hard time, don't get married. Listen, I've been married almost 24 years. It's not a, it's not a cakewalk. Then you got kids on top of it. Oh, my goodness. They're not cakewalks either. And for some of you, your desert might be your marriage. It may be that child. It may be your kids. It, it, may, be that, it may be that grown child. Amen. How about Joseph? What's, what was Joseph's desert? No freedom. How about this? Being misrepresented and being misunderstood. Joseph's desert was being misunderstood and misrepresented. How about David's desert? What was David's desert? God anointed him the king of Israel. And for the next 14 years, he's running for his life. God, what do you mean? You don't remember the guy anointed me with the horn of oil? Whoa, I mean, remember Goliath? Woo, woo, woo. You know, I mean, come on, God. And now I'm running in my life, living in caves, living in a desert with this band of thugs. God, this was not the plan you laid out. I don't understand it. David's desert was he didn't understand what God was doing in his life. What's your desert this morning? What desert does God have you in today? Could be your job, your finances, your marriage, your family. Your, what is it? Your church. Never thought of that, did you? See, our deserts are all different. But listen, God drove you there for a reason. And He has you there for a purpose. Because there's something He wants to do in your life. See, I, I heard this illustration. It's like baking a cake. How many bakers we got? Anybody cake bakers in here? If you take all the ingredients of a cake, flour, butter, milk, eggs, if you eat them all separately, is that a good cake? No. But once you mix them all together and you apply some heat to it, what happens? You get something that's really, really good. Do you know what you and I, all of us need in our lives? We need a little bit of desert. We need some desert into our ingredients so that when God turns up the heat, He makes something good. That he can give to others. Watch this. He can give it to others. You see that? 
So I'm going to finish up. I, I, my, my clock says five minutes. I know we're not under time. That's okay. I just want to be, I want to make sure you get to the restaurant before everybody else does. <laughs> All of us need the ingredient of the desert in our lives. You see, we, we don't conquer the desert. You will never conquer the desert. You can only surrender to the desert. You have to surrender in the desert for God to work in your life and to get the things out of it that are needing to get out. If you think you're going to beat the desert, you're going to be there a long time. And you're going to get really hungry and really thirsty. You'll never beat it. You have to surrender. Surrender. So what do I do in the desert? This is my action step. This is my closing. What do I do when I'm in the desert? What do I do? Uh, and, and the way I construct my messages, I always like to give you some action steps. I'm going to give you two steps today, two things that you can do while in the desert. Now, remember the, our verse in Hebrews, even though he was a son, he learned obedience through the things which he what? Suffered. Number one, if you're going to learn in the desert, number one, you must pay attention. You must pay attention. Now, most of us do not pay attention very well. We don't listen very well. We are poor listeners. And God wants us to listen to Him in the desert. Many times we don't know what God is doing because we've been told, don't ever question God. You ever heard somebody tell you that? We are, it is not our place to question God. Well, I don't know about you, but I don't like being in the desert very long. So if there's something I need to know, God, tell me what I need to know. What is it you want me to know? Are you with me? God, I want to learn whatever I need to learn because I want to get out of the desert and get back into Jerusalem. Amen? So God, what are you wanting me to learn? What are you trying to teach me? You need to pay attention. Would you write down 1 Kings 19? And, and I encourage you to read verses 4 through 12. That's the, the story, part of the story of Elijah after he called down the fire on the prophets of Baal and wiped out the prophets of Baal. And, and after that all happened, he, the Bible says, and well, I don't have time to go there today, but the Bible says that he went a day's journey into the wilderness. And when you read that passage, what you're going to find is two things. Number one, Elijah was suicidal. God, kill me, is what he said. And he was in great depression. So here's what God did. God said, Elijah, I want you to go in the wilderness. Why, God? Just go. It's something I want, you to, I want you to learn something there. And do you know what Elijah did in the wilderness? You know what he produced for God? Nothing. He fell asleep. God had to send an angel to wake him up in order to feed him because he couldn't get food for himself. He was so depressed, suicidal. He was there for days and, and, and the angel would come and feed him. And finally God said, uh, Elijah, I want you to get up and I want you to go to the mountain. And the Bible says he goes into the mountain, into, inside this mountain. And, and uh, God, he, he says, uh, God, what am I here for? What do, you, what do you want? And the Bible says an, an earthquake came. 
and God wasn't in the earthquake. Fire came, and God wasn't in the fire. And then the Bible says it this way. He was in a still, small voice. Now, if you were to look that up, here's what that that translation means. That Elijah found God in the sound of sheer silence. Do you know, listen, the earthquakes, the whirlwind, the fire, all this grand stuff. And by the way, don't, isn't that where we try to look for God at? In the big things, in the grand things? Oh man, listen, I'm from the south as you can tell. We do church a little different down there. You know, we, we were raised in church down there that, man, if you had a great, exciting service and, and people shouting and flooding the altars, oh, God showed up. We met with God today because we had an exciting time. That doesn't mean God's there. You know what God was showing Elijah? Elijah, pay attention. I, you will find me and learn me and know me in the times of sheer silence. You need to learn to pay attention. When you and I are in the deserts, we need to learn to pay attention. To be still and know that I am God. Be swift to hear, slow to speak. You with me? And secondly, not only do I need to pay attention in the desert... But secondly, we have to learn to be patient. Learn to be patient. Romans, I'll I'll turn there, you can write the verse down. Romans chapter 5. Romans chapter 5 and verse number 3. Here's what he said. And not only so, but we glory in tribulations also, in testings also, knowing that tribulation worketh patience. Remember what James said? James says the testing, the trying of your faith, worketh patience. Be patient. Be patient. Do you know our timetable is not God's timetable? If you haven't learned that yet, today's the day. Your timetable and God's just doesn't line up. Listen, I, I learned this a long time ago. God is not in a hurry. God is slow. God is not bound by your time or my time. We think of time as this, 70 years and I'm out of here. You know what God thinks of? Eternity. He's not in a hurry. He's got a big plan that we can't see. Do you remember this? The children of Israel, when they were in Egypt, they prayed and cried out to God for 430 years. Do you think God was listening? Absolutely. You know what he was saying? It's not time yet. It's not time yet. Wait another hundred years and I'll get back with you. Can you imagine that? Be patient. Be patient. We don't like patience, do we? We tell people, don't pray for patience. And yet God says, it's a fruit of the Spirit. Be patient. In the desert, when God seems most absent, that's when God is most near. In the desert, when God looks most powerless, if you're patient, you will see that God is most powerful. 
In the desert, when it looks like it's a defeat, like the day at the cross when Jesus died for your sin and my sin, just remember, be patient. Because three days later, resurrection power happened. Be patient. Be patient. I mentioned Pete earlier. Pastor Pete, he told this story as well. He has, I don't know where he comes up with these stories. They're incredible. I like using them. But he tells a story of a man named Thomas, a missionary from England. And this is a true story. Uh, Thomas, God had burdened missionary Thomas with a burden to go to Korea. In the 1800s, the Korean government killed all the Christians that were known in the country of Korea. Seven to 8,000 people they wiped out. The Americans heard about this and they sent their navy to go investigate and Thomas heard that the navy was going and Thomas was not in government. He was just a missionary and he somehow got on the ship and headed to Korea and, and he did not know that there was no invitation by the Koreans for the Americans to come to port. So the Koreans sent out ships, their own ships out into the bay with fire to set the American ships on fire because back then ships were made of wood. So they burned the American ships and all the sailors jumped into the ocean and had to swim to shore, Thomas being one of them. And when they got to shore, the Koreans lined them all up to be executed one by one. The executioner came by and began to chop the heads off of the military men. And when he came to Thomas, Thomas stopped and he had hid some Chinese Bibles on his person because the Bible was not yet in Korean. And he told the executioner, before you take my life, will you take this Bible and read it? The executioner was not supposed to do it, but he, for some reason he took the Bible, stuck it in his pocket, took off Thomas's head. Time went by, and that executioner somehow, someway, got that Bible out, read that Bible, and to his family, and they became believers. Now listen to this. By 1907, there were 50,000 believers in Korea. 100 years later, in 2007, there were 13 to 14 million believers. And today, one-third of Korea are professing believers. There are more Christians in Korea today than any other place in the world. Listen to me. Most of us are not ready for the God of Thomas. Most of us don't look for God to work the way he did in Thomas's life. We're not looking for that kind of God. You know what kind of God we're looking for? The God that always blesses us. That always, the God that always gives us good. Can I say this to you? And I don't mean this ugly, and please don't take it the wrong way. But we really have swallowed a lot of the health and prosperity gospel. Our, our good fundamental churches. 
that we think God only means good for us. And if something is bad, if cancer comes, or a child goes to prison, or a child gets on drugs, or you lose your job, you lose your house, we think, man, what did I do wrong? God's punishing me. No, no, no. God's driving you to the desert. Because there's something about God that He wants to remove. What you believe about God, He wants to remove out of you so that He can put His true self and reveal His true self to you. My question is, is are you going to embrace the desert in your life? Would you bow your heads with me? Heads are bowed, eyes are closed. Tonight we're going to look at John the Baptist, but right now in, in this moment, just for a few minutes, you may be here new today. You, maybe this is your first time, and who's this crazy southern guy up there talking about deserts? And It's okay. It'll be okay. I, I would never embarrass you. I never, I, mostly, I don't even know by name, so I wouldn't dare call you out by name. But there may be a, maybe there's someone here today, and, and just, just you and me talking and just listening, maybe your life's a wreck. Maybe you've tried everything there is to try and you just can't make any headway. I want you to listen to what Jesus says. Jesus said these words, I have come that you might have life.